concept is, is that before I treat them like any professional footballer or TAM player or designated player or team captain or goalkeeper, they're a human being first. And so they get tired just like you and I, they have their struggles just like you and I. I happen to be one of the people on the forefront of those lines who happen to witness and see those struggles and their successes um, on a day-to-day -day basis. Welcome to the latest edition of the City Voice podcast. I am Peter Wood, VP of Content at St. Louis City SC, and I am joined by a very special guest today, Jared Phillips, our very own Director of Sports Performance. Uh, Jared, welcome to the show. Thanks, Pete. It's a bit of an honor to be on. Thanks for having me. Oh, we're very excited to have you on. I am a secret sports science nerd. I have no qualifications in it, but it fascinates me. And I think it's, um, I think the job that you do is uh, is something not a lot of fans know about. And I think that this is going to be a real education for people today. So thank you for giving up your time. Brilliant, man. Happy to be here. Okay, I'm going to go through your bio um, to just uh, center people on your expertise. Correct me if I'm wrong at any stage. Um, you were a coach for the awesomely named Thunder Bay Chill. Correct, correct. Um, played for Thunder Bay Chill in the PDL a uh, number of years ago. Um, thankfully, at the same time while I was playing for them, I was coaching the reserve team there as well. And so that was really a, a prelude into getting into coaching, getting into sports science, because when you're coaching at that level, you just somebody who's wearing many different hats. You're a coach, you're the fitness coach, you you everything. And so just trying to run and manage that reserve team over there as a young, inexperienced coach, that was really an opportunity to dip my feet into a relative, relatively competitive environment with a bunch of youngsters. Um, and so that really got me asking the question, are my playing days over? Um, and what am I looking at when I'm moving forward? So that got me asking a lot of questions about coaching. What position did you play? Center mid, center back, right back, basically wherever the coach need me. Key, the key to fitness, <laughs> right? So you're obviously a, a fit man in your um, in your playing days. Um, so you took on an assistant coaching role at University of Mary in North Dakota, where you earned a master's degree in exercise science and kin kinesiology. 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 There I can't even go. say it. Yeah. I can't even say it. Yeah. That's how complicated it is. Yeah. Um, talk to me about um, what what that degree that that degree entails. So first of all, University of Mary is a, f a fantastic uh, little private Division II school out at um, Bismarck, North Dakota. Um, my former undergrad uh, college coach used to coach over there. Um, and so while I was wrapping up my master's degree and just trying to find, okay, what's next, he suggested becoming a graduate assistant. And he suggested, hey, try the University of Mary because they have a really good uh, physical therapy, they have a very good nursing program, they have a very good exercise phys um, and sports science um, postgraduate degree. And I went, oh, all right, that, that's interesting. So I started looking a little further into it. And funny enough, when I started going through the roster of the men's soccer team and it was just guys from England, guys from Ireland, and I thought, man, th this is this is for me, you know? I just felt like I was at home being with, me being so far away from home, seeing these guys being like, oh, I'm just gonna fit in, like, 
perfectly over here. So uh, just hearing about the quality of that educational program, I really wanted to do sort of like delve in hook, line and sinker into that. Um, and so I felt like I was getting an opportunity both academic wise to sort of delve into the sports science, into the kinesiology, into the exercise science realm, um, and plus be able to use that as an assistant coach. And again, when you're coaching um, as an assistant coach in the college, you, you're again wearing many different hats. So you're the assistant coach, you're the team admin, you're the uh, fitness coach, you're the sports scientist. You're just trying to accomplish all of that and finish your postgrad degree. So um, very good experience. I, I enjoy my time there thoroughly. Does that generalization help you know where you, where you really want to hone in? Yeah, yeah. It's sort of, I was busy, so busy wearing all these different hats. And, and truth be told, um, when I was there, my my focus was um, becoming a football coach. Um, but just due to my sort of academic background and my playing background, I, I had a lot of injuries in my, in my past, just like basically every fitness coach in the rest of the world as to how they got into this. Um, but that, that sort of got me into, okay, hey, we got to start monitoring where these uh, collegiate players were and we had little to no budget so it, what, what was the simplest way of doing that and a lot of and the most simple way at that time was doing things through RPE surveys wellness surveys um, and then heart rate monitors so we were fortunate to get guys strapped up onto heart rate monitors we were able to measure them live during training and so that was really the beginning of me going hmm, okay this is what we're accomplishing um, internal loading wise on a day-to-day -day basis and this means this for this session on this day um, and all that while I was sort of learning how to become this so-called very green sports scientist at the time while I was I thought I was focusing on soccer coaching but I started like dipping myself into this and then I had to lead um, preseason and I had to design periodization models and fitness models and and everything like that just to basically get the team ready um, I was fortunate that the head coach over there at the time basically gave me the keys to the kingdom when it came to coaching. So I, I still thank him for this day for what he did for me because I was I was so busy. I was earning little to no money. I could hardly put food on the table, hardly pay for rent because you're a student, right? Um, but I was fully engulfed in coaching soccer, um, being a fitness coach, being a sports scientist, just trying to figure this world out um, as a young professional and like who am I what did I want to do with this um, where was I going to take this what was the next step and going through all that I uh, started sort of reaching out to the different clubs throughout MLS I knew that I wanted to take this to another level I knew that I either wanted to become a professional player or work with professional players and as I started working more and more with them I thought man I could do this at a higher level and that sort of became the aspiration from there. And you moved to the Seattle Sounders. Moved to the Seattle Sounders, yeah. And your role there, um, fitness and sport, fitness coach and sports scientist. Mm -hmm. uh, less hats. In a way, yeah. Le less hats in the college role. Still, still many hats. Yeah. Um, then you moved. I mean, you moved at a pretty rapid pace to take on the head of fitness and sports science at Minnesota United. Correct. And so that's building something, right? Yeah. Yeah. So. Moving to Seattle from uh, the University of Mary was a was an awesome step for me. And I, I didn't quite realize what exactly at the time I was stepping into. Ob obviously, back then you have an idea of where you want to do, go and and who you are, and you're trying to like do the best job possible. But you don't necessarily 
think or imagine where this is going to put me in one, two, three, four years' time. And I mean, anyone who's been or just kept their, who's a soccer fan or kept their eye on the soccer world for long enough, you see it's a pretty fast revolving door, like just in general around the world, isn't it? Um, so Dave Tenney, who is now the performance director at um, Austin FC, he was performance director at Seattle at the time under Ziggy Schmidt. And so him and I got talking, he said, look, um, we're starting our S2 team, who is now Tacoma Defiance at the time. They hadn't started or anything like that. Ezra Hendrickson was going to be the current um, Chicago head coach. He was going to be the head coach for S2. Um, Jimmy Chiori was going to be the, he had just wrapped up his playing days for the first team and was going to be the assistant coach. And he goes, we needed a fitness guy, a sports scientist on that side. Would you be willing to take this up? And me as somebody who was on the outside looking and I thought, man, I'm just going to take this and wherever it leads me, I'm just, I'm going with it. Um, so little by little, I started digging that so-called rabbit hole deeper and deeper down the sports science and the performance realm and the fitness realm. So getting to work with Jimmy and Ezra in those days was just awesome. And we were constantly around the first team setup. Um, so we were in the USL championship at the time. We had an awesome season. Um, and I remember just sitting down at the end of the year, speaking with Dave Tenney and the head of medical over there at the time. And and they were basically saying, hey, what are you looking for next? And and I was telling them, how do I get to the next level? Again, I want to push the envelope in this and, and I would love to be involved in the first team set up in the future. Um, and so thankfully at the end of that season, I got a call from both Dave and Garth Lagerwey and they said, hey, we'd love you to come up and join the first team. And that's where I started my first team role with them. Um, and then what led me to Minnesota was we would always put on a symposium or a yearly um, sports science symposium in Seattle. And so we would just get different sports scientists, football coaches, um, physios, whoever, from basically all over the country, um, you could argue world, there are a number of people who, who attend. And we were fortunate, well, I was fortunate at the time and I didn't know much about it then, but um, the former Minnesota United fitness coach when they were still in the NASL days came over to the symposium and we just got talking. Little did I know that Minnesota United um, were about to start looking for a head of fitness and I naturally thought it was going to be him. And he didn't want to be involved in this because just by working with the team through the NASL, he realized what type of commitment this was. And he's got his own um, gym and everything going on in his family and everything. So he, he, was, he was a busy man all within himself. And so the sporting director at the time spoke to him and he said, look, I cannot take this on just because of time commitments, etc." And he said, I recommend this guy. And so I had been with Seattle for a fairly short period um, when I got the call from the guys in Minnesota United and said, look, um, obviously you know that we're looking to get a, we're looking to get going in 2017. We need to get our performance stuff up and running. Um, you've been recommended to us. Would you be interested in, in coming over and starting the program for us? And so that was in my very, very short-lived professional career, that was a huge step for me where I was developing a program from scratch. I mean, we, there wasn't even a gym in the place. The, the gym now 
in the uh, Minnesota facility used to be a storage room and it was run by a personal trainer, um, sort of outsourced by a personal trainer back in the day. So it was sort of me going up to him and being like, hey man, you, you mind if I <laughs> use the area like for a couple hours each afternoon just so I can work with the boys? Um, to what it is now and so they've got a f- fantastic facility they've got a beautiful stadium and hey the team's doing well then you kick on again you um, you go to work for Bruce Arena at New England for three seasons yep um, yep how exciting was that that you know you, you've been, you've taken your first head off role it's obviously been successful because you're getting picked up by a you know a legend of the game mm-hmm. um Working with Bruce and and getting that call from him in the beginning was it was truly memorable. I, I tell you what, the amount that I've learned from from Ziggy Schmidt, from from Brian Schmetzer, from Adrian um, and Bruce over the years has been truly, truly exceptional. Um, good or bad, uh, there's been many learning curves, many growing moments for myself. And there's just been those moments where you go, okay, this is me, this is not me, I can improve here, I can improve there. As you move forward, you realize maybe your own mistakes and how you can improve them. And it really just helps cultivate, um, mold and shape who you are as a professional within this world of sports science, within the world of fitness, uh, strength and conditioning in professional soccer. Um, I would say that there are a lot of similar principles to being a strength and conditioning coach in, in soccer as there is to um, maybe uh, basketball or American football, but you're working with just such a different crop of players. Um, so if you're coming over from a world where you don't truly understand that culture, it can be a tough one to to integrate yourself into. Um, so fortunately, my background is soccer, so I felt like that helped me um, just relate to a lot of the players um, very early on to get a lot of buy-in from them. So I was able to work with them, get a lot of trust from them, um, and ultimately just um, be relatively successful in, or hopefully more than relatively successful, should I say, in helping them develop and helping them become better professionals, whether it's um, physically, whether it's tactically, whether it's uh, technically, whichever area I could help. And I was sort of just, hey, uh, I'll just help you out wherever I can. You've got experience in MLS, USL, NASL, and the NCAA. Um, goes without saying, you've got a lot of experience of working in all the different terrains and geographies and climates of America. You also hold a USSF and UEFA coaching licenses, and you are NSCA certified in strength and conditioning. Um, do you think the your um, your coaching ability? You know, you've been a player, you've been a coach. Does that help inform um, your work on a day-to-day? Like, uh, is, is is that empathy for the person that you're dealing with on a day-to-day basis, does that help you in your role? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I didn't necessarily play on a level as high as these guys, but just being exposed to that training environment through all my academy years and, and coming up through the college system and the um, and the PDL system, you you feel that you can sort of, relate to, hey, this is going to be a difficult day today, or this is going to be an easier day today, and what should this look like, and what should this feel like, and how does your body feel after a difficult um, away game, and the travel, and everything like that, and going to a different state where maybe you're suddenly three hours behind, or three hours ahead, or you at X amount of thousand feet above um, 
your usual altitude. And so just getting used to a lot of the travel that is involved in the United States from an undergrad level um, to a postgrad level as a coach um, and then seeing it on a professional level in the in the lower leagues to, to the top leagues, um, it's, it's truly something that most people coming over to the United States um, will forever uh, underestimate at how hard it is. And our foreigners right now, they're coming in and slowly but surely getting used to it. Um, but you just say, hey, just soak it in, be patient with yourself, we'll build your body slowly. Um, and you can see like, they'll, they'll, we'll go on a trip, we'll come back and they'll, two days afterwards and they'll be like, man, my legs are shattered. Because we, we've been on a flight or we've been traveling for a day, for half a day, for three quarters of the day, um, sitting in airports and everything like that. Now, granted, finally, MLS has gone to charter flights, which has relieved that. Um, but can you imagine a few years ago when we had names like, like the Beckhams and the Gerrards and the Perillos, the Lampards and the League, and we were still having to travel commercially across this country where you're sitting in airports for three hours before your takeoff, where you're getting delayed on the runway, where you're having to maybe uh, have a layover somewhere and then going, yeah, I mean, it was just, it was brutal. And so a lot of these guys are experiencing that now in the MLS Next Pro team. And so they're just getting a feel for how difficult travel could be in this country. And so little things like that, I feel like I can relate to them. Um, when we're going through different fitness exercises, I, I'm a huge fan of positional um, fitness. Um, and so I'm able to put them into their positions and make them go through various repetitions of what they're expected to do during a game, during practice um, at certain tempos, whether or not that's bringing in somebody to challenge them to be an opponent um, or them doing it um, almost like patterns of play type runs and everything like that. Um, just finding different ways to connect to them on a physical level as to what we need out of them um, and to really sort of reach them on that emotional level where you sort of say, okay, I understand where you are let's put in an extra little bit of effort on this day or this day or this is what this day means. So let's go hard on this day, we'll bring you down another day. Um, so I need all your effort on whatever particular day we're on. Right. So let's, um, before we go further into the job, the people of St. Louis love a good backstory. Um, you're from South Africa. Correct. Um, same as Bradley. Um, he had some great stories about growing up there. Um, <laughs> like, tell us about growing up um, in that country, like entrenched in soccer, obviously. But I'd love to to hear a little bit about that. Yeah, growing up in South Africa was was awesome. Um, I look back on it now, and I just think, man, I, I was born and bred there. I was there for first twenty years of my life, and so that's that's all I knew. Um, I grew up as a multi sport athlete. I um, I was involved in track, I was involved um, in cricket, I was involved in rugby and soccer um, until most of these sports when, as we call it over there, primary school and then you go into high school, um, most of them are mandatory at certain at certain levels. So as soon as I got into high school, well, I had to do track and field and um, I had to do rugby, uh, I had to play cricket until I started to reach a certain level um, for my club soccer team where it was basically like, okay, Jared, now you have to start choosing like what you really want because we're training um, four or five days out of the week um, and you can't still go to track practice or rugby practice or cricket practice and then come back and do this. And then and I was like, 
well, maybe I can. Let's give it a go until one day you realize that, well, you can't actually do that. So um, grew up playing soccer basically from the age of uh, four or five. Um, and where it was just a fun thing from school, I'd just take off, go with my friends to the club team and just enjoy that. And as you sort of hit the age of 12, 13, this is where you started to get into these um in South Africa, it's called the PSL. And so you got into the PSL Academy. So what you see is the Kaiser Chiefs and the Orlando Pirates and the top divisions over there, their equivalent ac- academies. And so I was fortunate to um, make it into one of those academies. And that's where soccer started to take off for me, um, where I started to get really serious about it. I was one of anywhere from the only white guy to one of three or one of four white guys on my team. And so going around the country, um, having the, this expectation of, man, like white guys can't play soccer. What, what are you doing here? And so just going into places where you're just like, oh man, I am the minority. I got to show what I can do. And so that was always a good experience because there are phenomenal footballers coming out of South Africa. We have a rich history of really good footballers coming out. Um, so you always just felt like there was this added pressure, you know, like, hey, I, I feel like I'm the m- minority for once. I don't necessarily understand the language of what's going on. So, man, I got to perform. And so it was, it's awesome looking back. I made a lot of friends, um, seeing a lot of them go pro, play for the uh, South African national team, play pro today. Some of them go, went over to England um, and various parts of Europe and became very successful. So, um just going through that, knowing what South Africa is, being out of South Africa for all these years now and just looking back, it's it's truly a magnificent country. It's a country that's gone through a lot of hardship and you don't necessarily understand it nor feel it when you're there growing up in it, you're just part of it. Um, but looking back and having my entire family still back there and sort of just seeing what it's going through now, it uh, just makes you think back on life and how it was and just make you, makes you that much more appreciative of what you had and what you have. Um, but yeah, yeah, it was, it's certainly a privilege to grow up in a country like that and be able to look back and talk about those experiences. What, tell us about your experience with the, the World Cup. Bit of a sore spot, to be honest with you. Um, the reason that's a sore spot is because I was serving my undergrad at the time and uh, serving my undergrad, you're making little to no money and you're just trying to make ends meet. So um, in the summer, I would either be playing uh, PDL soccer and or trying to uh, work as a student athlete just to make ends meet. So that particular year, I chose to not go back to South Africa to not see the World Cup so I could stay on campus, so I could work, so I could train. Um and yeah, be able to afford all my bills and my school fees and tuition and everything like that. So I like majority of the world was watching the World Cup in South Africa from far away. Okay. So now we're um now we'll move into the, the job that you've taken mm-hmm. here. Um give us a, a little overview of what a director of sports performance does on a day to day, what the, the helicopter view is. I guess the helicopter view of what we do is, in a nutshell, describing myself would be somebody who works closely with the head coach and the coaching staff, um, along with the medical staff to help provide structure and direction to what each day looks like, what the week looks like, um, and be able to, in a way, 
provide objective measures to indicate what each day needs to achieve and whether or not we've met those goals as we move forward. Um, so, for example, when we're four days out from a game on a Saturday, it's usually called a match day minus four. So this tends to be one of our first days coming back um, into training in the week so that we, we usually know, okay, players are in this type of physical state. So therefore, this training environment, the training sizes, the training durations um, have to be of certain intensity. Um, field sizes have to be of certain size. Durations have to be of certain length. Um, gym structures uh, within the weight room um, have to be a certain, well, are ideally structured in a certain format to meet those players where they are when they come in for the first session of the week, if you will. Um, and then as you move in a day closer, this is what we consider match day minus three. You're three days closer to the game. This tends to be our most challenging day, both physically and cognitively. So we push the players hard. We get a lot of running volume out of them. Um, and at the same time, it's also tactically challenging where they're having to do a lot of thinking about Am I moving correctly? Am I performing the right actions that the coach wants me to um, wants me to fulfill as we prepare for the game coming up? And so, due to these two days, which are usually considered our acquisition days or our principal days, they're the most physically and cognitively challenging. We tend to bring them down when we're two days out, um, just to sort of get their legs back underneath them, giving them a bit of a recovery before we give them a shorter, more intense session to ramp them up um, and really put them into good momentum come game day. Performance directors seem to be a, a close-knit community. Um, mm. Like you've kind of described some of that of how you've picked up some of your jobs in the past. Um, who, who do you point to as mentors? Um, I would say that Dave Tenney would certainly be one of my main mentors. Um and friend now, uh, usually when I have questions um, as it relates to uh, both the profession, uh, when you're going through things that relate contractually, just different challenges that he's been through both at the MLS level, the NCAA level, and even the NBA level, he's a uh, has been a truly f uh, magnificent um, just sounding board just for me to bounce my thoughts and ideas off of. Where is he now? He's at Austin FC. Um, so he started off as Seattle Sounders. Uh, he hired me on over there. Shortly after that, he took up um, performance director role with uh, Orlando Magic in the NBA before being appointed director of performance for Austin. Um, along with that, there's Steve Tash. He used to formerly be with Columbus, Everton, back with Columbus. Um, and now he's currently with the U.S. national team. He's He's been superb. Again, just somebody that is just so open, who's just down to earth and genuine. Like guys at the top level, um, we haven't got all the answers. I don't have the solutions to everything like that. I'm, I'm going to be the first person to admit that. But uh, at the same time, I'm usually going to be pretty quick on the trigger to try and go find the most appropriate answer or the most appropriate solution to um, solving whatever puzzle or problem that we may have. And there's guys such as Jimmy Liston, who's currently with LA Galaxy, who used to be with Toronto. Um, Paul Caffrey, who's current performance director um, at Houston. There's uh, Pierre Beru, who used to be with LA Galaxy. He's moved over, moved over to Toronto, and he's actually with Jesse Marsh now at Leeds. And so just this bucket of individuals um, have just truly been 
magnificent and they're the guys who tend to pick up the phone you can just chit chat with them about life in general or you can get into the nuts and bolts of like the performance sports science world awesome which clubs would you cite um as having the most impressive approach to sports performance at the moment doing the most innovative things you know i would uh, be a little biased and say my time at seattle i was truly enamored by how they were pushing the envelope data was um there was a fair bit of data mining not just on the performance side but also on the recruiting side they were using data analysis to um, track and monitor and create this microscopic and holistic view of the training environment but also a similar approach to how they were recruiting players um were these players um specific profiles of what they were looking for and so did they match the identity that Seattle were wanted to basically cast themselves as and so this was the first time I truly been exposed to how they were utilizing data in this sense um and that was that was something special at the time and they they've done special things since then um another large attributor to that is probably um Toronto were pretty good over the last few years Austin FC right now again are are really good um Galaxy under Jim Liston um have been good and and to be honest with you a decent number of guys throughout the league are doing a phenomenal job there's um my assistant who's just taken over at New England um James he's he's sort of taken over and he's just a wealth of knowledge um he's been in in the role now for a few months and and I think he's going to do terrific things uh, guys like Joey over in Kansas Kansas have been phenomenal for so many years um so that's sort of attributable attributable to both the coaching staff and the performance staff over there you can see work well together um yeah and teams do well and teams have down years and then the the key is can you see them rebound and so yeah there there's a number of really really good practitioners throughout this league so yeah i i unfortunately can't name them all now but yeah i'm definitely missing a few so you let's talk about um city coming into your life um you met with the staff you had a decision to make um what got you excited about coming to st louis city you you know i've from my time working in seattle with the ziggies and the brians and the minnesotas with the adrians and and the bruce arenas um these coaches had been around the block a number of times they knew who they were they knew what type of teams they wanted to run they knew what the training structure should look like um so what initially got me excited about this was um the picture that both Brad and Lutz painted for me where they were going to be a younger more innovative um coaching staff and team and so that always was basically on the forefront of a mind in terms of the what's next question um and so looking for a younger coaching staff um a younger playing squad in terms of playing style identity what we're going after what we're pushing what we're trying um the entire project as a whole just was super appealing um i was fortunate where we built minnesota from from the ground up yeah there was a lot of work that still went into seattle and we helped shape and evolve things over there that was great but minnesota was really that first major project 
And then although New England had been around for years and one of the grandfather teams in this league, uh, they were still training and playing out of Gillette Stadium. So when we got there, we were training out of the same facility, the same um, coach's locker room, the same gym that they had had for years. Um, so going over, that was really the first project. I was actually having a short conversation with one of the players about that today. That was the first major project where they had built that training facility that they have over in Foxborough now where you were able to fully design that weight room um, and the sports medicine room and just really have hands-on with those initial plans and see and say like, how can I maximize this facility's potential to help these players in the best way? Um, so Minnesota was the start of that. New England was another step forward. So I felt like I started to carve some sort of solid idea as to how I could really help St. Louis City um, progress ba from, or basically from the sports science, from the fitness, um, and basically just be a really good supporting structure to the coaching staff and the team. And so that, that really got me excited because it's a new project, because it's an exciting project. It's a training facility and a stadium being built at the same time. Um, they're trying to... They put the academy in place early. They got the second team up and running early. They're bringing in first team players early. So you can see the intent to do a lot of quote unquote right things early on is there. And so just being a part of that project where there is that forward thought going on um, was just something that struck a chord. Um, the aggressive nature and the style of the identity and play was something that I thought my knowledge in the performance world and the data world could certainly serve as a major attribute to this um, to the organization. Luce is very, um, uh, very not precious. <laughs> I was going to say very <laughs> precious about the, but he, he, I guess he is, he is precious about the the philosophy that he's brought to the club. He mm. hired um, John Hackworth because he knew that he could execute that philosophy and he's done a magnificent job this season. He's hired Bradley Carnell yep. because he knows he can execute um, that philosophy. Do you um, do you think that you the, that you were selected because there is a, a, a feeling that you are going to perfectly match to being able to work with a, a relentless team that wants to be extremely fit this season? Yeah, yeah, I, I certainly hope so. And I, I think a major part of that is... Um, having someone on board that both uh, Brad and Hack can trust and, and almost like a blind trust, whereas I'm not just going to say things just for the sake of th saying things. If we have to bring a team down or players down, then then we've got to bring them down. And if we've got to raise them up because they're simply not fit enough or their body comp isn't right or they haven't been getting enough game minutes or they've served as a sub or they're coming back from an injury or, or whatever the circumstance Maybe I feel like they need somebody with that real world and live experience um, within the league over a number of years um, to be able to come in and say, hey, this is a way forward or this is an option or this is a certain way to skin that cat. Um, and so I just feel the current working relationship with Brad and Hack, the current coaching staff and Lutz has just been phenomenal. And so their support um, in me joining the club has been awesome um i think the team has gone from strength to strength they're doing really well in this mls next pro league and hopefully we can start to mold these guys put them in the best position um as we move forward into next season um and hopefully we can yeah build a 
a core group of players strong enough where we can be highly competitive um, come the 2023 season. It's clear from this conversation, you're a builder. You like going into the stress of starting from scratch. It's not for everybody. Like it's, as part of the attraction of this, the you know what you build is you know th- this will be part of the club moving forward. And these things, these decisions that you make now, yeah. can affect us for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's it's always exciting. There's always a lot of emotional investment that goes in. A lot of time. Um, commitments that go in. Um, I don't know how many of these I have left under my belt, to be honest. I don't think my my wife would be too happy if I turned around and I said in the near future that we've got to go to another project somewhere. Um, but certainly it's, it's awesome being a part of a fabric um, that's going to last for many, many years to come. So being able to build a solid structure and environment that just speaks professional and high level is just so rewarding and being able to see those players go out onto the field perform at a high level and be successful is i don't think there's anything more rewarding than that well that's a nice way to finish off the section now we're moving to a really important section oh boy it's called getting to know jared uh honest answers uh, uh, the only way forward on this um, so let's start. Favorite St. Louis restaurant. Favorite St. Louis restaurant. Um, I probably have to admit that there's two of them. Um, I don't know the name. Um, our favorite assistant Bosnian coach, um, Elvir, he said, Hey, order this Bosnian food, man. It's really good. I'd never tasted Bosnian food before. It was honestly phenomenal. Balkan treat box? It, it could be. Uh, We're going to say Balkan treat yeah, box. Yeah, let, let's just say it's that. But man, that was that was really good. Um, and another, I got to give a shout out to the guys who came out today. Um, a little Argentinian restaurant over in uh, Fairview Heights in um, in Illinois. They came over and they. Um, they grilled steaks for us, grilled chicken, um, lamb, everything like that. It was a full-on cookout and more of a celebration to open the facility, um, bring the boys together, bring the staff together, just bring everybody up and have a good time. And, and I tell you what, they they did a phenomenal job. Glad you're liking the food. Favorite TV series? Oh, favorite TV series. Um, you know, I'm not too much of an avid TV watcher, but I do tend to delve fairly deep into the All or Nothing series. Anything from the LA Rams um, to the Arizona Cardinals um, to the All Blacks to the Arsenal series to the Leeds series to the Sunderland series um, to, I, I mean, just delving into that hook, line and sink and just seeing what these different sporting worlds look like is is fascinating to me. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's great to see that we're not too far off that par, at least knock on wood. I hope so. Love that. Favourite team to watch outside City 2 or any of your previous clubs? Liverpool. I have been a Liverpool fan for basically my entire life. My, my father was a Liverpool fan. Um, so I started supporting them shortly after they were very good when they were not very good. Um, that was so a long time. So to see them rise to what they have um, over the last few years is, has been pretty special to me. Awesome. 
winter or summer? I was always a summer person, but since being in the US, I've come to uh, embrace both. I'm an outdoor person, so if it's snowing, I'm going to be outside, and if it's summer and it's hot, I'm going to be outside. And so as long as I can be outside, I'm good. This The winter is coming in St. Louis. It was not pleasant for me last year. Uh, toasted ravs or gooey butter cake? You know, I keep hearing about these toasted ravs. I have not tasted them yet. The gooey butter cake, I missed it the other day at the training facility. I keep hearing great things about it, but uh, I would probably choose the toasted ravs because I do love a good Italian. Lovely. Golf handicap? Don't have one, but every time I played, um, my good friend back in New England, um, Kevin Hitchcock, the current goalkeeper coach, uh, he would always stick me on an 11 or 12. Um, he said, I think like uh, a 52 handicap and I'm capable of hitting the ball like a five handicap. So trying to amalgamate those two worlds is, is a challenge when you're only a bit of a weekend warrior. So still chipping away at that, but love a good game of golf. Lovely. Fun fact no one will know about you. Uh, fun fact is probably I love landscaping. Um, when I get home, um, probably much to the frustration of my wife, I love to get stuck into my my yard, whether that's sort of providing edging or landscaping around the house, uh, mowing the lawn, creating the lines and everything, getting the rollers behind um, the mower to try and get these like sort of perfect symmetrical cuts into the into the yard. Yeah, I'm a bit of a weirdo, I have to admit, but yeah, it's it's great to just stick in the old headphones and just zone out and, and just have a good time. I'm around people all day, so to have those few moments where you just get to zone out is pretty awesome. Be honest, have you tapped Josh McPherson to uh, do a bit of consultancy on the garden? I would be lying if I said no. Um, Josh and I have already exchanged numbers, ex, uh, exchanged ideas on how to improve my yard and what I should do and what fertilizer I should use and what seed I should use and how it holds up in the winter and the summer. Um, and so, yeah, Josh doesn't know this yet, but eventually I'll drag him over to my place and he will give me advice on, on how to make my yard even better. I'm sure the Lord of Turf will uh, engage with your questions. Okay, now we're going to move on to the road to 2023 because it's an exciting path forward and your role is going to grow in stature um, as we head towards March. Uh, so I've got a few questions for you. Um, keeping players on the pitch uh, for longer is extremely important to your role. What sort of things um, are you looking at in your mission to achieve this? How do you keep players fit for longer? One, it starts with who the players are that you bring in. So um, the most typical way to figure out whether a player is going to be useful to you or you're going to have to provide a little bit of extra love is, is his previous um, injury record. So if we're bringing in a guy who's been injured a number of times, then he's probably going to be some work just because the body tends to deteriorate the more um, injuries you collect over time. Um, the second one is age. And so the older the player that you bring in um, and you couple that with injury history, you start to get this bit of a snowball effect. And so really finding a niche of guys within the right age group um, with the right injury history who are still capable of um, fulfilling that physical profile that you need within the identity of your squad um, helps right off the bat. Um, how do you keep them on the field? Um, I would say by not overloading and underloading them on a daily, on a weekly, um, and on an, 
an accumulative um, accumulative basis. And so just being able to see, I tend to split the guys into three or four groups. You have your guys who are starting typically. Uh, you have your guys who are on the bench, who are coming off the bench within the first two or three subs, getting significant minutes. And then you have your tail end subs who are coming off or are coming on only for five, 10 minutes at the end maybe. Um, and then you have your guys on the bench who aren't getting any minutes, and then you have your guys who aren't even in the squad. So you tend to have this, basically this quadruple breakdown of groups with in a squad of players. So making sure that you identify who those guys are um, and on selective days give them the right amount of work because a player who's underloaded is probably just as likely to break down um, if you rapidly increase these minutes. Um, and then a player who's overloaded, at the same time, how do you judge how he's going to handle those training loads over time? And so you tend to see you get your workhorses, the guys who are able to just go and go and go, your guys who are more resilient. You get a handle on them pretty fast and how they're capable of handling training loads, game loads, travel. Um, and then you have your guys who are your serious athletes who maybe you just need to give a little bit more love and attention to you. I'd love to have them on the field all the time because of their athleticism, but maybe you just have to pay attention to how hard they work, the distances they cover, the velocities they achieve on um, during games. So you have to provide a suitable environment with them where, hey, can you manage their game time in this or is this game more um, important than the next so just making sure that there's good communication going on between yourself the player the coaching staff so to manage those players and are they staying strong are they staying healthy are they staying fit um i would always say there's a fine line between players being fit and players being either fresh or fatigued and so a player who's fatigued could look like a player who's unfit um so i would in essence, almost have a team who's 90% fit but 100% fresh uh, versus a team who is actually 100% fresh but only 80% fresh and ready for the game. And so making sure that you're able to identify and ways to keep your team fresh, to keep them mentally switched on, to keep them sharp for games. Because um, as you know, we've gone to the five subs. So usually come about the 55th, 60th minute, we're already making changes. And so guys need to be able to step onto the field, play the high tempo, high intensity, hard pressing, aggressive style that we like here um, in St. Louis. Um, at the same time, um, you need to be able to just keep tabs of how they're progressing through the week, how they handle the environments of playing in this country and this league. Some folk believe that soft tissue injuries, when they happen, it's just bad luck. But as I understand it, people in your position don't look at it in the same way. Can you talk to me about this crazy notion that you can affect the chances of a soft tissue injury? Sure, sure. And I'll go back to what I said earlier. I would say a player is fairly likely to... Um, undertake an injury if they're underloaded and then you put them um, into a game for, for too long. Um, just as much they're able to sustain an injury if they fatigued or overloaded and then you put them into the game. So finding that right balance um, and that, that good little sweet spot where you can keep players in where 
each day is not a constant struggle for them. You can see guys when they're tired, when they're fatigued, they become emotional um, on certain days. They're in a great mood on other days when they're in the right place. So just making sure that you're able to find that balance, both physically and mentally, to keep guys in the right place. I think injuries, soft tissue injuries, are preventable. Um, I also think that you have your fair share of bad luck. Um, unfortunately, you see guys who go down with more serious injuries, guys who take knocks, guys who have um, been riding challenges of defenders or defenders sliding in and hurting themselves or guys taking acute knocks and stuff like that. Um, it's certainly a bit of a segue into an injury that you can't necessarily control. Um, at the same time, there's a lot of practitioners out there and it's probably all practitioners realize that there's, you you know, there's, there's no magic pull that you take to suddenly make a team completely injury-free. You are going to have injuries. I guess the biggest question and the most focus that you should have is how can I reduce the number of injuries? And when we do pick up those injuries, how quickly can we turn them around? Because you've put them in an optimal training environment. So guys are um, they mobile, they're, they're nice and flexible, they're fresh, um, they're strong, so that when they do pick up these injuries, the time to return is reduced. Okay. Um, you're known for having a, an advanced data philosophy in the game. You collect it from all sorts of places. We see the players wearing uh, sports bras with the data packs in there. Um, talk to us about how data influences your decision-making and the types of things that you're measuring. I, I guess the easiest way for me to put it is um, it is really almost training by numbers that like if you will. So I've always just used numbers to both back up um, decisions, enforce decisions, um, and also just to provide a little bit of, take the emotion out of the equation and provide a little bit of direction as to where we're going. Um, so is a guy improving his sprint volume or the quantity of sprints he's performing in the first half or second half or throughout the game um, now we have objective measures in place to see that um, is a guy getting fitter um, well let's take a look at his heart rate how long is he spending in average uh, as his average heart rate how long is he spending in his relative heart rate zones um, and is he still able to perform the same body if not a greater body of work and so just using uh, objective data to provide a focal point for the day, to provide a microscopic point and measure for the day where you can turn around and go, hey, these are our daily outputs, and then use it in more of a holistic fashion to be like, okay, because today we achieved this, tomorrow maybe we can focus on that, and we're on track, or we're behind, or we maybe a little too far ahead, we've overcooked them today, so what does that uh, mean for, for what tomorrow looks like? And so I like to use data in a microscopic view and an holistic view, there's a few ways that you can use it. Okay, over the course of a week, over the course of two weeks, over the course of a month, where are all our players? Who's played the most minutes? Who's covered the most ground? Who's covered the most high intense ground? Uh, or should I say the most intensive distance? And, and that just provides a good measure for how you start to make your way from week to week through a very challenging year. Um, other measures we like to use I always like to take our data and relate it back to our game data. So I like to take rolling averages of what they typically achieve um, 
on on game day over a course of three or four weeks and then consistently relate each training day back to what that game means. So when we're four days out, they achieve X amount of distance. Well, what percentage of a game did they achieve in this category and in this category and what internal response did they get for this? And therefore, like it sort of paints a good picture because every person is different. And so if I line this team up, if I line them all up and I said, hey, all of you get to that side of the field in 10 seconds, well, getting to the field in 10 seconds literally means something different for every single player on that field. Well, fast guys, that's maybe a three-quarter pace or a half jog. Um, and our slower guys, maybe that's them getting a PR in terms of how hard they had to push to get there. So finding a way within this group of 24 players um, or in a teamwork environment to individualize things um, has become of particular importance for me over time so that you can try and reach each individual on their specific levels on a day-to-day basis where you can culminate and implement plans for them to just make them feel better, make them feel stronger, make them feel more powerful and explosive. Um, and that's really been the goal of why I used data just to sort of help guide, help shape decisions um, and help just to provide necessary information to whether it's the coaching staff, whether it's my own staff, whether it's the players, so that it's there, that it's on hand, so that we just have a good picture, an objective picture of what we look like physically as a team. You mentioned um, overloaded, mm-hmm. overcooked. There was terminology known as the the, the red zone. Mm-hmm. When you push players into a zone where things are dangerous, how do you balance between yourself, um, Hack or, or or Carnell? How do you balance the, the the risk of like you know? Do you play the player? Do you put the player on the bench? Like, do, how do you manage those conversations? Are they heated? Like, what's the? No, they're awesome. In fact, um, both Brad and Hack are pretty switched on to to that type of stuff, and they understand the fundamental importance of players being in an optimal place both physically and mentally as we go into a game so going through the week their periodization of each one of the training days is is awesome their knowledge of the physical metrics and what they tend to mean is awesome so those conversations are fairly easy to happen every now and then you find yourself in a place well hey um are we pushing this guy who's maybe just come in, hey, are we pushing him to 60? Are we getting to 75? This is, he's maybe been here for three weeks. We've been on the road constantly for the last three or four weeks. Um, has he got used to the travel? Has he got used to, has he settled in? Has he moved into a new home? Is his family here? So all these little nuances that play small but significant roles within a player's personal life start to come into play. Um, so 60 minutes, for example, after a player has been here for for three or four weeks, may not seem like much, but if a player is in a hotel room and his family's not here and maybe he's not eating right and the bed is really hard or it's uncomfortable and he hasn't got his favorite pillow and blah, 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 may feel more out of sorts um, than what he usually is. So this type of player could be at greater risk. So it's just a matter of being able to position yourself with that player and say, how are you doing? Like, let's have a conversation. How are you feeling? How are you sleeping? How are you reacting to this? How are you reacting to the gym program? How are you reacting to the training sessions? Um, do you need more? Do you need less? Um, how are you eating? How are you sleeping? Just all those little things in a very calm, casual conversation 
come up on a day-to-day basis and sort of just keeping a mental note on them and sort of going back to both Brad, to Hack, um, to Tyler, our um, head of ATC or head AT, and just being able to have that conversation and making those um, joint decisions has, has been pretty important for us because more often than not, I think we arrive at the correct conclusion um, and a conclusion that usually the staff and the player on, on are on board with. So, Talk to me about the player bit. I mean, you, you, I've just had Roman Berkey in here. Mm. The guy is a competitor. He's a top athlete. Mm-hmm. He looks after himself. And you have to go in and you have to sometimes tell players you are overcooked, but these guys want to play every week. Like, how... How are those conversations when they want to be out on the pitch, or they're maybe not giving you the the full truth on how they feel because they they want to be at, they want to be at Centene Stadium? Sure, uh, I'll say this: um, a professional soccer player is, and will always be a professional soccer player and a competitive human being at the very core. So you say, "Hey, I'm going to give you 30 minutes." He's going to say, "Can you give me 45?" Um, hey. Can, I'm going to give you 45. Hey, can I play 60? And you kind of say, why don't you accomplish your 45 minutes or your 30 minutes first and then tell me how you feel and then we can talk about progressing you. And so there's been a few moments where you go, hey, we've been on the road for two weeks. You've been here for three weeks, etc. Let's see how you do away at, um, at a time change on turf, um, in the heat. Let's see how you handle 30 minutes first. Let's see how you handle 45 minutes first. And more often than not, the players are great. They always want to push for more. And and at the same time, as great as they are, they're honest enough to come off and say, I either felt awesome, I wanted more, in which case I feel like that's a very good problem to have. Um, or they come off and they go, man, that hit me hard. That was tougher than I think. Like I said earlier, when we, uh, in the beginning of this interview, we were basically saying like, hey, there's been guys who have come back from our, our travel and two days afterwards they're going my legs feel like concrete blocks and that's just from the travel um and so it's just a matter of how they get used to that how they treat their themselves and you tend to see your more experienced pros like your romans have a better understanding of their body and what they should do and what they need um and your youngsters are still learning that and so once they embrace that and they understand that and how they learn to become a better pro through the years they just get better and better at that i come from a country where the longest away day is five hours on a coach in the south it's raining in the north maybe it's raining a little bit more it's a little bit different um in america you, you have to consider altitude you have to consider extremes of weather mm-hmm. throughout a season time and, change. and time changes, massive travel hours yeah. that go yeah. into it. Um, how, how do you prepare players' bodies for something like that? And is there a different, like, would you treat East Coast and West Coast differently? Um, I would say you obviously have to be highly cognizant of wherever you're going and it does help when if you've been there a few times. Um, for instance, when when we go to uh, Denver or Salt Lake, we tend to try and get in and get out before we're really affected by the altitude. When we, if you had to go from East Coast to West Coast, you tend to go two days before so you can get the travel out of your legs so that maybe you can have a training session on the day so you can get the guys up and moving and feeling a little bit more like themselves. Um, However, if you're going from the East Coast to the West Coast, you're obviously still jet lagged. And so these guys are waking up at four or five in the morning 
um, and then so you have to adjust all your meal times and then you have a game for example that's maybe kicking off at seven o'clock when back home it's 10 and so doing little things like that where you're just preparing the players and just saying make sure that you get up, that you get moving, that you're eating the right foods, that you're staying hydrated, um, that you're figuring out how your body gets used to this stuff um, as early as possible is is pretty key. Um, when you go to Texas, it is brutally hot. When you come to the Midwest, it is brutally hot. And so just little things where maybe we're starting parts of the warm-up inside in, in a cooler room and then we're going outside or we're spending less time outside and trying to warm up in the shade or you're giving them just short exposures to being in that heat and those temperatures and the humidity and then coming in and sort of just getting them back to a good place before they go out there and do that. And so there's a few just different little tidbits that go, like going along where you can prepare prepare them in terms of just making sure that they feel like they're in a good place, um, that they're eating right, that they're hydrating, um, and that they're able to go perform when it comes game time already. You've you've mentioned um, the cognitive side of the game uh, a number of times. Like you're, you're looking at data all day, and I think sometimes fans look at players like they are machines. Mm. But mental state is obviously really important but it's uh it's not a tangible in the same way as uh like a you know measuring load H- how do you how do you track uh like players and their mental state and like is that something that you put on your staff to 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 monitor throughout the day you, you know it's it's been an interesting journey for me seeing players go through these different uh different like sort of emotional journeys if you can call them that because you tend to see players like as soon as the games happen or as we lead up to a game, there's usually a significant amount of guys who are so busy uh, thinking about their duties and performing well that they're not necessarily getting the best sleep before a game. Um, and then after the game, whether it's a win or a loss, they, they're thinking about everything, all their touches, all their movements, where could I improve? They've done 10 things awesome and then one bad thing and that's what's going to sit on their mind and that's what's going to eat them up. Um, and so speaking to a coach may not necessarily be something that they want to do. Speaking to me may not be something that they want to do or my staff or the medical staff. So finding different outlets for them, such as maybe a sports psych or, um, over here, we, we even bring in, a gym, one of our pastors just to come in and just touch base with the guys and just talk about life. Um, and so just to serve as this almost emotional, release valve if you will just so that they can switch off from talking about hey it's just jared again asking me how i am how's my legs feeling how did i sleep all of this nonsense um when maybe jim comes in and goes hey how you doing and then suddenly like my mind may switch to something else where is there something else going on in your life that you feel like i can't necessarily approach the coaching staff with that maybe i like to open this up and talking about things just in general, just being able to open up about them provides immense amount of um, comfort for the guys and any one of us, in fact. Um, But just trying to meet them on those levels, understand what the different training days mean physically and emotionally, and adjusting the days 
to meet those needs. So when they come in, they're usually not as sharp um, on the first training session as what they are on the second training session. And after you've beaten them up for a couple of days, you need to come down from that emotional high so that you can give them maybe a little bit of a fun, of a relaxed environment to get them back up and moving. Because if there's a good mood, a good environment, um, just a good atmosphere and energy going through the room or going through the, the training, I mean, the, the session is night and day different. And then... When it's not, how do you identify that? How do you adjust it? Just, well, yeah, adjust to that. I've spent some time at the training ground mm. and it's pretty clear that you've got a, a great relationship with the players. Does that, uh, does that relationship and empathy, you know, does that help drive performance or like, you know, drive trust in, in, in what you're saying? Is that like a, a very precision thing that you're trying to develop there? Yeah, absolutely, and uh, I've said it, and this is a really, really simple um, concept, and the concept is is that before I treat them like any professional footballer or TAM player or designated player or team captain or goalkeeper, they're a human being first, and so they get tired just like you and I. They have their struggles just like you and I. Um, I happen to be one of the people on the forefront of those lines who happen to witness and see those struggles and their successes um, on a day-to-day basis. Um, so you can see right away when guys come in to start doing their first workouts of the day, how they're feeling, how they look, maybe they need to spend a little bit of time um, going through this type of work or these modalities just to get their heads into a better place, their bodies into a better place. Um, and just being there for them, really. Um, you, you're not trying to fix every problem right then and there. Um, you understand that guys are going to have good days and bad days, and then just how do you work with them through that? Um, and, yeah, I, I would say before meeting the footballer and the pro athlete, um, you just got to meet the person. And, and that's been a huge trait of mine and one of my focuses um, for years now. Um, and I feel like that's helped me develop a lot of trust, um, a good relationship within the group and the individuals themselves. And because of that, I'm able to sort of have that foundation to sort of say, all right, this is what we got planned for today, for tomorrow, this week. This is where we're going with it. You need to be in a good place for us to have a good day tomorrow. Like, I'm going to beat you up a little bit tomorrow. Come with your head in a good place, with your body in a good place. Prepare for it. We're getting after it. So usually most of these guys who have been around for a while like um, to know what's going on. They like a little bit of forward notice um, of pre-planning. And so when they know what's coming, they know what's in front of them, it sort of just gives them almost that cheat sheet um, to go through the day and go through the week and really do a good job, take it upon themselves. Because like I said, they're top level competitors. They want to be successful. You can't, no one can sit there and tell me that any top level pro wants to fail or they want to have a bad day or they want to look bad on a football field. They want to do well. And so giving them then opportunity opportunity to succeed, to grow, to develop. Even the top guys want to develop in some way. Um, so just being close enough and having that relationship with them to find out what areas they want to improve and develop, uh, I think that's 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 a key to success. Club has invested heavily in the academy. The, the young players are, are, are working wonders at every level. Mm. Um, 
the hope is that some of them make it through to the first team. Um, what 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 work do you do to make sure that when they land in the first team, they're they're ready physically for that jump? Well, right now I haven't been here long enough, so uh, nothing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but that will sort of evolve into a place where you're starting to track the positional profiles and the athletic profiles of the guys coming up through the various age groups. And so what what we've tended to notice through the years at the various clubs is you see this jump from um, from the 14s to the 15s, from the 15s to the 17s, and the 17s you start making their way into the second team setups and the second team setups into the first team. Um, and what we also noticed is that uh, teams who didn't have a second team uh, in place a few years ago when they were going from the U17s or U19s straight into the first team setup, they, they were really getting beaten up unless they were just something out of this world special. And so just dealing with the game physically, dealing with how you have to uh, perform on that training day, both physically and emotionally, and then come back and do it the next day and the next day for the entire season, um, it's a tough challenge. And so... At one of our clubs, we were sort of going, man, like every time we bring up one of these these youngsters from the academy or the second team, they keep breaking down. Why is it all our youngsters breaking down? Um, and then you start to sort of see like their movement profiles um, in the gym, their coordination, just the understanding of the bodies, how they're taking care of their bodies. They're still living at home with mom and dad, things like that. So the world of what our top pros are living in versus these guys coming in through well, coming up through the age groups is so significantly different. So getting them accustomed to being a good professional and teaching them what that means, even when they have to wake up and go to school. Like, how do you take care of your body? How do you do, how do you teach your body to move appropriately? How do you become a stronger athlete? How do you teach a youngster who's 16, 17, 19 years old to become stronger, to move better? And just going through, it's a large educational process that you got to go with them. Um, that, well, you got to go with them through so that when they eventually do get to the first team setup, there is obviously the understanding that they still need years and years of development but you've moved them along further enough to put them in a place where they have the best chance of being successful. Um, so making sure that guys are comfortable in weight rooms, guys are comfortable with session intensities, with session durations, with lengths of the season at the pro level. Even if you go from the second team to, f- for the, to the first team, it's a big jump. So making sure that you're not necessarily overloading them um, in the beginning. And so I always keep thinking of your old Michael Owen back in the day, how he came through and he was a stud both for Liverpool and England. And by the time he got to Real Madrid, he was Real Madrid and and Newcastle after that. He was basically a broken human being. And you see what he, how much he had played before he was even at the age of 24. It was crazy. Um, So even in the biggest clubs, most successful clubs in the world, like you can absolutely still beat up these players. And so just making sure that they have a more holistic and more broader view on how we're developing these players and managing minutes, managing training environments and expectations is is so key. I think it's important for people to understand that the time that you came into this industry, like this the, the sports science and the, the, the whole discipline that you work in yeah. wasn't baked. Mm-hmm. It's developed rapidly um, over the last 12 years 
and it still continues to. Oh yeah. Um, you're obviously an innovator um, in the space, and you're connected to the industry. What innovation are you most excited that's that's just over the hill, and you're sort of getting towards it? Uh, truth be told, is I, I feel like this industry's sort of gone like full data dump or data mining. I mean, we have got nearly we got so many different metrics and so many like we got optical tracking, we got live monitoring on players, we got guys wearing GPS, heart rate monitors, all of that. I would love for us to find just a way for us to amalgamate all of that and put it into maybe is it a pod, is it a little thing that they stick on their back or on their sidearm or whatever it is, you know, just where that just brings all that information to fruition where we don't have to load them up with uh, sports bras and GPS units and heart rates and stick them on force plates and make them run um, on these various uh, sprint tests and everything like that where it's just there for us, where we're able to sort of just track these guys without having them wear your aura rings and have them doing HRV tests and stuff on a day-to-day basis. Um, yeah, um, I know AI is starting to come to fruition. Um, I'm, I have to be honest, I'm not totally sold by it yet. Um, I think there's still so many variables that go into a training week, into a training day that you can't say every week is going to be the same so that as soon as there's maybe an outlier on the high or the low side, you can suddenly predict an injury. Um, but it would be great if this whole industry just found a way to simplify it. It's becoming so complex and in fact, it's almost gotten complicated that just finding what works for you um, is probly the biggest key. Uh, I'd often hear the, the saying, there's so many different ways to skin a cat, um, but at the end of the day, you just have to choose which way you're going to skin the cat, otherwise it's going to be a pretty ugly looking cat. Because the marginal gains you're looking for yeah. uh, and the things that help you win are tiny, right? Yeah, absolutely. So finding a method which you want to go along with and just making small little tweaks along the way instead of totally throwing out the training plan every time maybe you feel like you've you've hit a couple of road bumps. Um, so that, that that's the biggest key. I would like to find a way to take this very vast world of sports science and data and simplify it into something more functional and more working related on a day-to-day basis final question for you um on a personal level do you have hopes and dreams for the first season of city i certainly do i have high hopes for this team um i have high hopes for the players um i've seen the rewards and the disappointment um of football seasons in the mls league and so i really hope that we can accomplish goals in our first season that's going to make both the ownerships, the coaching staff, the players, the support staff, the fans just feel that at the end of that season or campaign that it's been a successful one. Um, Whatever may be deemed as a successful season. Um, Maybe people have different measuring sticks. Maybe people are saying we should reach the MLS playoffs. Maybe people are saying we should reach this level in playoffs. Maybe they're saying we should win MLS Cup. So just finding out what those expectations are. This is a difficult league. Each team um, at home can turn it on on any given day. Each team can come over here to St. Louis and go, man, I want to beat them today and play the game of their lives. Um, So it's going to be a very challenging year. We've got a very competitive group and I think we're going to be very competitive next year. 
I have my personal goals. Um, personally, I would love to see these guys get into playoffs and, and have a run at it so that they can feel the success and the rewards of all the hard work that they're putting in because I can tell you they have started now. Um, yeah, just the youngsters trying to become better pros, the guys who have come in early trying to get settled, trying to get up and running, um, the staff, how hard they're working, trying to find um, the best knit of players to come in and complement this group and this club. Um, so there's there's people playing their part all over the scene. And so just to see the, um, all of that, all that hard work come together is is truly going to be rewarding. So... Yep, it's going to be a tough first season. It always is tough in MLS, but uh, I would just like the season to finish where we go, yep, we felt good about that. We have to manage our expectations and what it means to be an inaugural team. Um, a lot of learning curves, a lot of bumps in the road. How do we navigate that? Um, yeah, and how do we come out better for it on the other side? Jared, that was a brilliant way to end the podcast. Um I think I speak for every fan that has listened to it. That was an absolute education in what you're doing. Um, I learned a load uh, sitting here. I'm sure everybody else did listening <laughs> in. Thank you for being so generous with your time um, and so positive about uh, where we're heading. Um, and hopefully you'll come back and, uh, and do another one of these because I, I think people are going to be demanding it. I look forward to it. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. And if you are listening to this at home, give it a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you listen to. Say something nice about Jared, because I think if you say that, he will definitely join us for the next one. Um, And on that note, we'll be back very soon with the next episode of The City Voice. Thank you for listening.